Hi, my name is Dale Burke, and it's a privilege today to uh, be with you as you enter into the world of Seacoast and link up with us. We're so glad you're here. Whether you're a longtime member that we know well or whether you're a first-time uh, viewer who's decided to join us today, uh, we want to give you the same invitation that this series is all about. We're starting a series, we're continuing our series in Romans chapter 12, uh, and it's kind of playing off of that famous phrase made famous by Mr. Rogers himself, won't you be my neighbor? Now, as I thought about that this week, I kind of began to question whether it should be a question. Now I know it's a question mark. Won't you be my neighbor was a question that he built his show around. But in reality, as I listen to Mr. Rogers, having watched him many years, as I thought about what he's trying to communicate in that statement, I think it's a question, but a whole lot more. What it really is, is not just a question, it's a invitation. He's inviting his viewers who were, he was reaching out through the camera to his audience, kind of like I have to today because of our lockdown, reaching out to invite his audience to invite them into his neighborhood. And not just into his neighborhood, but into the challenges that he believed in in what a real neighbor should be like, and what a real neighborhood could be like if it, was made up of, of, if it was made up of neighbors of the sort that he was out to produce. You see, when Mr. Rogers reached out, uh, he was talking to every kid, but actually, here's the secret, he wasn't really talking to the kids, he was talking to their parents and the kids. And he was inviting them to take the challenge to make this world a different kind of neighborhood. He was talking to a neighborhood that, and a world that was broken at the time, just as ours is today. It was a world full of problems. It was a world full of pain and, and suffering. It was a world full of prejudice and, 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 and difficulties. And he was reaching out and saying, you know, let's see if we can create a different kind of a neighborhood, a different kind of a world. We at Seacoast believe that when Jesus Christ came from the Father to the earth, died for our sins, rose from the dead, that what Christ came to do was kind of similar. He came to invite us into his world as he entered our world, died for our sins, rose from the dead. He came to invite us through faith in him to see if we can't make this world a different kind of neighborhood. We believe that he can, and in fact, he's doing just that. I really believe that today, as we go through this difficult time, there is so much tension in the air. I feel it. I feel it big time. I feel it with my own family. I feel it in my own home. I feel it in my neighborhood. I feel it every time I turn on the news. There is so much tension uh, in whether it's the politics or the politicians or the policies of are we going to keep locking down or are we going to open up? We live in a world in which there is a real need for what we're going to study today. There's a need for what God calls love 
that's real. Love that's real. But before we go there, let's kind of remember where we've been with this series. Uh, As we've been teaching through Romans 12, the first thing we did was we went back in time to Romans 1 through 11. Because we needed to go back and understand that before you really can apply and live the lessons of Romans 12, you've got to remember that everything we do in life as Christians is rooted in the grace of God. Romans chapter 1 through 11, if I were to take one verse of scripture to summarize them, it would be this. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says it this way. It says, by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift from God. God has given us life by grace. We didn't earn it, we don't deserve it, but he's offered it through Christ and his death and resurrection as a gift. But then Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9 is followed by verse 10, which says this. I think this is a summary of Romans 12. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we should walk in them, that we should live them out. So Romans chapter 12 is really all about responding to the grace of God, understanding what it's like to live empowered by the freedom, forgiveness, and the purposes that flow from the grace of God. It's living in response to grace. Last week, Pastor Ryan kicked us off in this part of the series by pointing out that it begins with a heart of humility. It begins by not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think in Romans 12, 3. Understanding that you are a gifted person, but your gifts, your talents, your resources are all gifts from God. So if they're all gifts from God, no reason to be proud, stay humble. And use those gifts, as different as they are for each one of us, to... Um, to reach out and serve one another. That's the essence of what we learned last week. So last week was focused a little more on how we're all so unique. We're uniquely gifted, uniquely talented, different amounts of resources, but all given for one purpose, and that's to serve. Today we're going to do a switch. We're going to go from the things that make us all unique as in our giftings, and we're going to take a look at the thing that makes us the same. We're going to look at something that we all hold in common. In fact, what I like to call it is the common call to an uncommon compassion, that we all have a common call to a new type of love that is foundational for living life the way God has designed it to be lived. Not just in these tough times, but actually 24 7, 365 days of the year. We're going to look at a passage that I'm going to read first and summarize, and then we're going to go back and kind of take it apart and we'll see how we can uh, apply it in our life today. Listen to the Word of God. Verse 9, Romans 12. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what's evil, cling to what's good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Don't lag behind in diligence. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, and practicing hospitality toward outsiders. 
Now, when I first read that, it seems like a long list of stuff to do. I mean, in fact, it almost is overwhelming in those few verses. There's actually 12 different statements of things I could do. But when I studied it deeper and we processed it some with our teaching team here at Seacoast, what we realized was it isn't really a list of just 12 disconnected things. In fact, I believe it's one big idea. And then that one big idea, kind of like a diamond, has different facets, and each phrase makes like another facet to the diamond. In fact, I think you can actually summarize it as one big idea that is expressed in four major facets. So first, what is the big idea? Well, I think as God often does, the Apostle Paul leads off with his big idea. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what's evil, cling to what is good. What's it mean to love without hypocrisy? It means to be real. Don't be fake. It means we need a love that's not fake in it, but it's real. I call it love that's real and really different. And when I think of love that's real and really different, uh, it's, it's a love that I believe would apply to all of the tension that we face today because we need this kind of love. We're going to need this love in our homes. I find that today there's a lot of tension. Um, abuse is on the rise. Uh, suicide is even on the rise. There's a lot of domestic violence happening now because of being locked together. And to be honest, even being locked together with the people that we love the most. Because even being locked up with my wife, who, by the way, is nearly perfect, okay? Because I know she's watching today. So even we sometimes get on each other's nerves because we're not used to always being around each other. I've talked to families where they have several adult uh, children or teenagers all together at home, all trying to get online at the same time all using up the bandwidth, bandwidth, all trying to do their jobs online or stressing about losing their jobs if they get offline or trying to do their homework. But there's a lot of stress in the families. There's stress in society. There's stress when we talk about the pros and cons of all that's going on. It is a high stress time. And this passage calls us to love in a new way a way that's more patient, a way that's more understanding, to love authentically with a really different kind of love. I uh, heard one commentator this week who made this statement. They said, well, you know, we ought to be able to love each other because after all, we're all in the same boat. And then someone pushed back on that idea and kind of corrected them. And I, and I liked the correction. They said, you know, we're really not all in the same boat. We're actually all in the same storm. We're all going through the same storm, but we're in very different boats. Some of us are in boats where we've still got our income and it's pretty safe and secure. And others are in boats where we're unemployed and others are in boats that that are uh, in turmoil and, and having to deal with conflict uh, and others are in boats that are really pretty peaceful and we're just kind of waiting this thing out. 
So everybody's circumstance is different. So everyone's going through the same storm, but we're in different boats. And because we're in different boats, we also have a different view of the shoreline and where we're headed and how fast to get there and whether to lock down or open up. There's different boats. And that's why there's different opinions. And I think God is calling us, especially as followers of Christ, to be people of peace who can try to bring some sanity to life and to try to bring some love into the discussions that we're bound to have at home and on the road. So what is this love that he's talking about? Well, he says it's a real love. It's not hypocrisy, but it's a authentic, real love, but it's also really different. How is it different? Let me give you a couple suggestions. Number one, it's different because it's basically saying love like God loves us. In John 13, Jesus Christ, right before he uh, went to the cross, said to his disciples, um, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now, that wasn't a new idea, but then he added this phrase, that you love one another just as I've loved you. Now, that just kicked it up a notch. It means it's an unconditional love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love that's willing to die for somebody else. It's a love to do whatever it takes to meet their needs and not just worry about your own needs. In essence, it's loving like Jesus. It's loving like God. And that takes him, that takes his presence, it takes his power, and it's not an easy thing to pull off. Secondly, I think it's a really different love because it's saying to love as a gift. It's loving as a gift. I like to say love like God is loving like a gift, not a wage or a bribe. The truth is most of my love when I'm loving in relationships slips back into the way the world loves, which is I use love as a wage. Someone's been nice to me, so I need to pay them back because I don't want to be in debt to them. So I love them back. That's loving as a wage. They earned it, I give it. Or I love not as a wage, but as a bribe. In other words, I need for this person to do something for me, to be kind to me, to love me. So I throw some love at them so that they'll probably give me some love in return. But God's different. Jesus Christ came and he loved as a gift. That's what grace does. So I really believe that this diamond, you might say, of real love, uh, the top of the diamond is love like Jesus. Love like Jesus. Secondly, he goes on, though, to begin to give some other facets to this love. He says in verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. And when you hear those two phrases, I summarize them this way. Love like family. Love like family. It's often been said, blood is thicker than water. You know, that people who are blood relatives love each other. And he says to love with a brotherly love. Now, the first time he said love without hypocrisy, he used a word called agape, which means God's love. It's the highest form of unconditional sacrificial love. Now he switches, and this time he says also love with brotherly love. Love like family. But the thing is, he's not talking to my family. 
He's talking to me and the others in the church and the other people I interact with in life. And he's saying, love the people that are not your family with a family kind of love. Love like family. Two key words, be devoted to one another. Secondly, give preference to one another in honor. I love the way that the uh, New International Version describes that second phrase. He says, honor one another above yourself. And then in a translation called The Message, he says this, practice playing second fiddle. Be comfortable not being the one who's honored and lifted up, but lift up others, honor others, put their needs ahead of you and be willing to be devoted to them as if they're family. Now, some of you are new to Seacoast. In fact, your only experience to Seacoast is what you've been seeing or you're seeing today uh, over the internet. What I want to tell you is this. Uh, I am thrilled that you're seeing us today and with us today. But let me tell you something, you're in for a real treat when this thing's over, if you choose, as I hope you do, to show up and to come and be with us here in Encinitas. Because being with us, you're gonna experience the love of family. This is one of the friendliest places that I've been to. Disneyland likes to say it's the friendliest place on earth. I don't believe so. I think the Church of Jesus Christ is and should be the friendliest place on earth. And I pray that that's what you experience at Seacoast. Now, I love having you with me today, but tell you the truth, I am a hugger. I'd love to be able to give you a real hug, be able to give you a real handshake, and, and then I'll probably give you some disinfectant to sanitize your hands. But the reality is we miss being together because we want to love like family. So love like Jesus with a real authentic love, love like family. The next facet of this love is love like you're all in. Love like you're all in. I love this next set of verses. Don't lag behind in diligence, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. When I wrap all those together, I say it's saying to me, Dale, Love like you're all in. Don't love half-heartedly. Give it your best. Really invest yourself in people. There's a uh, paraphrase of this that I read in the message that says like this. Don't burn out. Keep yourself fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master. Cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. See, that's the kind of love he wants us to have. I notice that in the middle of that, he says, love serving the Lord. Now, up until now, it's been about serving people. But I think there's a secret in this, that when I love, understanding that the focus of my love, my highest motivation for loving, is because I'm obeying Jesus Christ. I'm emulating Jesus. I'm following Jesus. And when I love because I want to please Jesus Christ. Now that's a different level of motivation. You know, sometimes even the people we love the most, but we get irritated with them, uh, they may not always appreciate our love. They may not appreciate what we do for them. They may not say thank you. Uh, they may not respond by giving love back. 
And tell you the truth, when that happens, it is very easy for me to want to just say, well, you know, if you're not going to love back, then I'm out of here. But when you serve Jesus Christ and you love people as an act of serving him, Christ is the one person that I serve who always appreciates it, always deserves it. In fact, he deserves way more than I give him because he's the one who died for me. He's the one who gave his life to give me life. So serving Christ as my highest motivation actually empowers me to stay true to serving other people, especially when they're kind of difficult or hard to love. But last but not least, we hit the final facet of love. And here's what it is. It's in verse 12, it's in verse 13. He says, to love contributing to the needs of the saints and practicing hospitality. Now there's two sides to this, but I think if you roll them together, what he's saying is be generous. Be generous with your love, be generous with your money, be generous with the help you offer people and be generous inside and outside. That's the phrase, be generous inside and outside. What I mean by that is he says, contribute to the needs of the saints. Now this phrase, the saints, don't kind of get confused by this if you're new to Christianity. He's not talking about saints that have been long, long ago died and been, and been, uh, um, and been commissioned by the church to, as a saint. Uh, in the word of God, the phrase saint actually means holy one, and it's actually a synonym for a Christian or a follower of Jesus. So every follower of Jesus Christ who's trusted in him is referred to as a saint. Not that they are saintly, believe me. I'm not saintly, but I'm a saint. And so would you be a saint if you have trusted in Christ? So he's, what he's saying is watch out for the needs of the church. Care for one another. But then he adds, and practice hospitality. Now, that may sound like it's a command to throw a party at your house. No, 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 no. What it is is this. The word for hospitality is from a Greek word that actually means a lover of strangers. So now he's saying, don't just be generous and love those within your church, within your circle. Our calling here at Seacoast is to love Encinitas. It's to love North County. It's to love California. It's to love this world, this nation, and beyond, uh, beyond our borders. So our command is to love, but it's to love people who are not a part of us. We don't exist as a church for us only. We exist for you. And if you're outside and disconnected or looking for a home, we as a church want to be a safe place to come to seek and to discover Jesus Christ and to find a home, find a family, and most of all, to really experience the love of God through us. As imperfect as we are, that's our goal. Practice hospitality. So as we wrap this up, what are some very practical ways in which we can love with an authentic, real love that's really different? Let me give you just a few things to prompt your action. The Community Resource Center is a local ministry, a local organization actually, 
that excels at meeting the practical needs of real people. We as a church love partnering with them. And we would encourage you to consider being generous toward them and giving of your time and resources to partner with them as well. They're a great, great organization. So partner with them to help meet the needs of those uh, in our community that are most needy. Secondly, I, I heard a story of a young couple in our church. Uh, their plan was very simple. When they went into lockdown, they notified all of their neighbors, look, anytime I'm going to Costco, anytime I'm going to the store, I'm going to call you. I want to send you an email. You bounce back your list. I'll get it for you. A very practical way in which people are reaching out to love people that are their neighbors and beyond. Becky and I, when this whole pandemic took off, were not in our neighborhood. We were actually in Africa. We had flown into Entebbe, Uganda, and we were doing a training near Entebbe with pastors. And while at the, while at the training, uh, a lot of these pastors would bring their kids with them. In fact, it's very common for mothers to be seen sitting in the audience with a little kid or two on their lap, listening, taking notes. Very common. Cutest kids in the world. Well, one day, though, while I was busy training, Becky noticed that one of those children looked very listless. This children was on her, this child was trying to sleep on her mother's lap, but she was listless and, and she looked sick. And, and, and Becky inquired how she's doing and found out she had a fever. And we thought, well, this kid needs to see a doctor. And there was a clinic very close by the training. So while I'm busy doing my thing, my wife stepped out and, and, and facilitated helping this mom take her baby to the nearest clinic, got the baby checked out, found out, by the way, over the next two days, found out the baby actually had uh, typhoid and pneumonia, typhoid and pneumonia. This child's life was in danger. And because God had planted us there for those three days, we were able to hopefully, maybe even bring life and save the life of this young child and be a blessing to this young mom. You never know what God's doing around you, but God wants us to open our eyes and look for cases where we can make a difference. Last week, the New York Times ran an article that caught my attention about the fact that there is most likely going to be a global famine that's going to flow out of this economic turndown and the battle with COVID-19. And uh, when I read the article, it just shocked me. The article said that it's estimated that the number of deaths due to starvation will most likely double this year to 265 million people who will die, not of the virus, but for lack of food, starvation. Now that caught my attention. You see, I've been in the Kibera slum, the largest slum in Nairobi, which has over a million people living with no services, no public services at all, in a slum of a million people. And it's only one of six slums in the city of Nairobi. I've seen the slums of Kinshasa in the DRC, Congo, where we have friends from our church who are serving there, helping the poorest of the poor, rescuing young women out of prostitution. That's the passion of our church. Well, that's going to be a huge need as we go forward. So I'm not sure 
what your calling is to help address that need. But whether we're trying to help people in Encinitas or in Tebe, in San Diego County or in Africa, I think God calls us to do something. He calls us to love. He calls us to care. And you ask, you know, Dale, how can we as a church help a million people? Millions of people. You know the answer to that? You can't help millions of people. But you can help one. When Becky and I got back, uh, one of our pastors that we knew in Kenya, we found out that he was unable to pay his rent, perhaps unable to buy food as he moves into this uh, crisis time as Kenya was locking down. I can't help everyone. But by God's grace, we were able to send some help and transfer some funds into the account of his wife to help them. So you can't help millions, but you can help one. I would encourage you to look for trusted partners locally, like the CRC and your church, trusted partners globally, and ask God, what can I do to simply help one? So what's the secret to creating a different neighborhood? What's the secret to loving your neighbor as yourself? I'd say it's this, love with authenticity, be real and be really different in how we love, not as wages and bribes, but love is a gift. We've received grace from God, love by grace. Do that in your family. Do that with your kids, with your parents even. Do that with everyone within your touch, but then also seek to do that around the world. Love that's real. Love like a family. Welcome people into your life as if they're family. Love all in. Love as if you're all in. Be willing to put yourself out, sacrifice like Jesus Christ sacrificed for me on the cross, and love with a passion. And then finally, to get really practical, love with generosity. Look for one person that you can help at a time and share what you have. And as you do that, I think you put a smile on the face of God. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for what you teach us about how to be a neighbor, how to change our neighborhoods, one person at a time, loving like Jesus, loving all in, loving like a family, loving with generosity. And I pray, Father, that as we do this, we remember that it's not by our strength we do it, it's by your grace, it's by your spirit, it's by your power that we try to live this way. God is love, we're his children. So Father, I pray that we would Im imitate our Father, to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, in Christ's name, amen.